Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au.
I worry about the world Seems it's spinning faster yeah, Who's the slave and who's the master Tell me, tell me now What's the time is for? I don't know What's the time is for? I don't know What's the time is for? Well, I don't wear a watch What's the time is for? I never watch the clock What's the time is for? I tell you, I don't know What's the time is for? I don't know, but if you got the time I'll show you how to play the blues You got the time. Come on, play some blues. Yeah. 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au, 3CR On Demand, Out of the Pan with Sally. First broadcasting noon through one every Sunday afternoon. Thanks for your company. 3CR broadcasts from the lands of the Kulin Nations at the intersection of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples. And we pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Hello to any Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander, First Nations people tuning in and always was, always will be Aboriginal land. I'm Sally Goldner. I use the pronouns she and her. And I'm your host for Out of the Pan, a show covering pansexual issues, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender or genre or diversity, uh, as I'll come to in a minute. And thanks to the crew from Out of the Blue, diving deep for the marine news as they do every Sunday from 11.30 till noon, currently Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time, um, one the last month thereof for the year. Uh, lots of ways to get in touch with this show. Out of the pan 855 at gmail.com. You can SMS 61456751215. Tweet at Sal Gold said so. And that's the bottom line. And also look, um, well, actually, no, haven't can't seem to get a post going on Instagram today. The image does not want to work. So don't look for me there um, just for today. And also on Facebook, um, Sally Goldner AM and out of the pan 3CR 855 AM Melbourne to snail mail into this station, PO Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. Any opinions I express on the show are strictly my own, not those of any organisation with which I've been associated in the past or am currently associated with. Um, possibly just a general play safe, not expecting anything huge today. Um, but um, Switchboard, which is part of QLife on 1800 184527, Rainbow Door 1800 367 if needed. But we are getting to the heart of diversity today um, with um, something that I think affects rainbow communities and intersects very strongly. We'll not think we know we've got plenty of evidence of it. And I'm joined in the studio. Great to have my first in-studio guest for 2024 by uh, Bryce Pace, who is an autism advocate. Um, Bryce, welcome to th- back to 3CR because you've been in before. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's um, great to be back after I think it was, uh, I think almost six years last time I was here. So it's been a while. It's been a while, and we well, there's those two years that we don't really want to talk about, even though we probably would be healthier if we got it out of our systems. <laughs> But um, yes, you were in on one of 3CR's great shows, The Boldness, and um, talking about things that are very close to your heart because um, you have a um, seminar coming up um, which is um, of great interest um, um, because it's going to be called Growing Up Autistic in a Neurotypical World. 
And I think probably the place to start might be to get your definitions of neurodivergence vis-a-vis neurotypicality and your definition of autism because, um, you know, and they're yours. You know, so let's start there so people know um, what you're wanting to talk about. Yeah, so um, firstly, uh, neurodiversity, it's basically the idea that everyone's brain uh, is different. Everyone thinks differently. Everyone has a different personality. Uh, So everyone in the world is neurodiverse. Um, However, then there's those ones that, I guess, don't fit the typical mold of a uh, brain, I guess. Uh, And uh, we are what... Uh, yeah, you refer to as being neurodivergent, so that includes people that are autistic, um, have a learning disability, uh, there's a few mental health conditions that also uh, come into okay. uh, neurodivergence as well. Uh, yeah, the list is basically endless. Uh, then there's also the yeah the typical brain, which is what we would yeah those people that don't fit into the mold of um, being neurodivergent. They are um, what we'll refer to as being neurotypical. Mm-hmm. Um, so that gives you a bit of a rundown, I guess, yeah. of what neurodivergence is. Um, now, autism, um, yeah, as I mentioned before, it's a form of neurodivergence and it is a lifelong neurodevelopmental disability that affects the way that those of us that are on the spectrum, how we perceive and experience the world um, yeah, around us. So... Yeah, a lot of people they see yeah on the in the media and that yeah there's that stereotypical autistic that's usually a white cis male mm-hmm. uh, can't talk or talks very little rock back and forth and that. Um, in my work, I try and sort of broaden people's uh, perspective mm-hmm. on that because autism is a spectrum. Uh, and it's not a linear spectrum like most people assume when I say the word spectrum at work. It's actually, I'd like to describe it as being a lot closer to being, you know, the rainbow type of spectrum. Because, yeah, yeah just like there is endless possibilities of colours, there is endless experiences of autism. Everyone's experience of autism is different and unique to them. Fair enough, yeah. No, look, there's lots There's lots that comes up in there, you know, to start off with. I mean, yeah, that people have a more, you know, sort of they'll see one person on the autism spectrum and think that's all of them. So people who, let's say, as you said, can't talk or perhaps they're not picking up on social cues that we're expected to pick up on in society, those sorts of things. And, um, you know, so I think that that's a big one which we might talk about um, for, you know, I'll start there, you know, sort of tell us a bit more about that, that sort of, you know, um, you know, what is the, co- perhaps they'll say if there is such, is such a thing as a common factor across the autism spectrum, but then of course, as you say, there's a whole range of differences. Um, so tell us a little about um, that for, just to get, just to dive in a bit further. Yeah, no problem. So, uh, of course there is common characteristics and traits because yeah otherwise we probably wouldn't be able to be diagnosed uh, with uh, autism so yeah there is a range of these and it does include that we do find uh, you know social situations and sometimes reading social cues challenging so for example yeah if there's already a conversation happening in a room and I'm yeah I just walk in I may actually struggle to recognize when I could uh, sort of 
step into that conversation um, mm-hmm. without seeming rude or yeah, I'm butting in or anything like that. So that's actually really, uh-huh. yeah, I get really anxious in that sort of situation. Mm. I try to avoid it at all costs. Uh, then there's also yeah, reading social cues. I may not recognise sometimes when um, you know it's the best time to shut up in a conversation. So I'll keep talking um, yeah endlessly. Um, then there's also the very common uh, thing that I've found with a lot of autistics is struggling to understand sarcasm. Um, and that's because we do tend to see the world quite literally, uh, and sarcasm isn't literal, um, <laughs> to put it lightly. Now, obviously, I've got 25 years' experience of interpreting um, yeah, sarcasm as an autistic, how it does still occasionally go over my head because we just, I just don't understand who invented it, why they came up with this concept and why you can't just say what you mean. Um, some other common characteristics mm-hmm. also include being hyper or hyposensitive to senses. Um, so you think of the uh, five senses. Yeah. That's a good start. There's actually more than five senses. However, I can't Ooh. name those other ones. They're, they've got really complicated scientific names and I can never remember them at the top of my head. Okay. But, um, yeah, an example for me is I actually have an extremely sensitive sense of smell um, Mm -hmm. to the point where I can actually smell someone chewing gum from across the room. Wow. Um, Okay. And it's actually so sensitive that sometimes I can um, identify the flavor they're chewing and sometimes even the brand name. Uh, so that gives you a bit of an idea how sensitive our senses can be. Um, yeah, and this isn't always a negative thing. There is positive sides to it. Mm. If you want to find a great restaurant, just follow me down the street and I'll probably <laughs> find one. I like it. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you probably also don't want to get on my bad side because I could probably yeah, easily take you to a bad restaurant as well uh, <laughs> on the other side of things. Um, now, another thing is also we can have intense uh, interests or special interests, as they're also commonly known in the community. Um, and when I mean intense, I really do mean it. Even if you accidentally come up with a topic we are interested in, you will not be able to shut us up. We'll <laughs> happily talk days on end without break. And, of course, because we struggle to read social cues sometimes, we may not be able to recognise that you're bored out of your mind. So good luck with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Um, some examples of uh, yeah, intense interests I've had over the years are actually mainly based around uh, history. So there's World War II history is one that I've really gotten into, so I know a lot about that side of things. Also, uh, the moon landing uh, is another one. And, yes, the moon landing did happen. That is a common question I always get when I bring that up. Okay. Uh, so, yes, um, and there's also another thing which is stimming, and stimming, it's a very common yeah. thing for autistics. I haven't met anyone that doesn't stim. Stimming, uh, yeah, there are body movements or behaviours that we do that sort of, it's our body's way of, um, uh, what's the word? Um, <laughs> um, processing, that's the word, um, processing the world around us. Uh, you know, it's something completely natural. A lot of the time we don't even realise we're doing it. Um, and it can include stuff like, yeah, flapping the hands, rocking back and forth, um, you know, jumping up and down. There's also vocal ones uh, with grunting and that as well. Yeah. 
A common sim that I've recognized that I do quite often is I tend to rub my fingers together quite a bit. And, okay. of course, as you can imagine, if I was doing that all day, I probably didn't have any skin left, which is obviously not a good thing. Skin's... Um, yeah, apparently it's good. <laughs> it is good to have skin, and I'm trying not to be dry human or getting into sarcasm there. Yeah, so uh, that's actually why I carry around a fidget tool with me at all times in my pocket. Um, I have one um, It's actually in my hand right now, and literally just a piece of bike chain um, that goes around my fingers, and it, I guess it gives me the same uh, yeah, bit of sensory stimuli input that I need. Yeah. Um, and it means I have you know, skin left at the end of the day, which is, yeah, a positive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, there's a, there's a lot in that, um, you know, that, um, that you've covered there, you know, that all those, you know, the stimuli, uh, stimming, sorry, and, you know, that you've got a bit, you know, finding perhaps a, a substitute that is a win-win that's healthier than, you know, as you say, rubbing, rubbing your fingers together and rubbing the skin raw or something. We won't say it will come off, um, all that sort of thing. And I, I just on a personal note, I can relate to the, the sense of smell thing, although I don't identify myself as on the autism spectrum. I've done a few self-tests and I think I'm close, but it just doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't quite fit in for me. But I can certainly understand having strong sensory perceptions mine would probably be of the five well-known senses would be smell which um depending if it's a nice smell it can be swell which is what my tongue was going to say and probably sense of sound um but not sight um would be would be my thing um so lots in there i was i want to go back to something you said earlier and that's the crossover or linkage to mental health stuff can you um that that one's got me curious as well tell us um tell our 3CR awesome listeners, because we don't have regular listeners, we only have awesome ones. Um, tell us a bit about the linkage between autism and mental health type of um, stuff. Yeah, so we've actually found that um, those of us on the spectrum are actually more likely to experience uh, mental health conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for um, you know, in particular stuff like anxiety, that's a major one, uh, uh, depression as well. Um, and also schizophrenia. Um, now I had to bring this up because this actually came up uh, when I was uh, doing a radio interview a few weeks back. Um, they actually asked if there was um, if autism was a form of schizophrenia, and it is not. Um, yeah. That it's not a direct link. Um, that is actually unfortunately a very common misconception, and it actually comes from the early days of autism research because even where the word autism came from was this doctor, I think it was in the US, mm-hmm. um, who found that there was a schizophrenia patient of his uh, was displaying some you know, behaviours that weren't really common to the other schizophrenia patients. Um, so that's where he came up with autism. Um, in saying that, Autism and schizophrenia, they're two completely different yeah. things. Um, it just happens that autistics are actually, uh, you know, we're more likely to um, experience mental health conditions such as schizophrenia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, you know, there's no automatic linkage, but um, do you think that in terms of, say, the anxiety and depression, is that because you're expected to fit into the expectations of a neurotyp so-called neurotypical society and you, you know it becomes stressful trying to be something that you're not is that is that a factor and or are there are and are there others as well 
I'd say that's definitely like a major factor. I know from my personal experience, um, yeah, 25 years of lived experience, um, it is extremely stressful, uh, yeah, growing up in a world that was not designed with us in mind. Mm. And we're expected to fit into this mold that we just, we can't. Um, and that does bring up a lot of anxiety because we're, we're trying to seem neurotypical, um, you know, seem as I put it when I was younger, normal, which um, mm. I don't really use that word much anymore because really what is normal? <laughs> what is it? It's a setting on a washing machine or something. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, but sorry, keep keep going. I shouldn't have interrupted there myself. Um, you know, sort of um, trying to fit in. I wanted to ask you about that. You know, sort of when did you – what were some of your early memories in your 25 years of – even if you didn't have a word for it or didn't understand it, of being autism, and I'll say not fitting those neurotypical expectations. Does you know, looking back now, um, or even at the time, anything come to mind? Yeah, well, I was actually diagnosed with autism at the age of eight, so I was actually already in primary school at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, before primary school, I actually never recognised that I was different because, uh, well, basically. Autism, you know, the idea that I was autistic, it was just kind of normal in my household. Um, and that's because my older brother is also on the uh-huh. autism spectrum, and there's also evidence of autism on both sides of my family as well, because um, autism actually does have a genetic um, component. Mm-hmm. Um, so it runs in the family, you could say, uh, for me. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really have an idea that I was different. Um, and... Even after I was diagnosed, my mother actually kind of never made it a big deal. She never hid the diagnosis from me. It was just part of my identity, part of who I was. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was only until I got to primary school and I began to get bullied for being different that I discovered, hey, maybe I'm not like everyone else. Um, And that is also another unfortunate um, common uh, thing of autistics is that we do tend to get bullied because we are yeah. so you know, different from neurotypicals. And there's actually a statistic out there that's around about 90% of autistics have or will experience bullying at some point in their life. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it's very high. It's something that we have all unfortunately experienced. Um and again, that is basically down to the fact that we're f- sort of forced to live in a world that's not really designed for us, and especially you know, younger kids, being teenager and you know, kids and that, they can be mean. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. No, look, ve- very, very true, and that's, you know, which is a sad thing. I mean, did you get – I mean, it's great that your family were supportive and that autism was just sort of part of – you know, you were just valued for who you were there. But how did what happened? You know, how did um, what happened at school in terms of when you were bullied? I mean, were you know teachers, admin staff, etc., supportive? How how was en- was anything done to sort of stop it or anything? Um, well, unfortunately, because of the primary school I attended, um, their sort of um, way of dealing with um, bullying that. It was not great. Um, they they said that they did the best they could, but really all they did was put a target on those ones that had been bullied um, because they would actually 
you know, they would come up to, because I actually went to a Catholic school as well. Uh-huh. Um, just probably says it all. Um, <laughs> yeah, they basically, their idea of dealing with bullying was sit the bully down with the, um, yeah, the victim, uh, the person being bullied, and, um, you know, basically tell them, you know, it's wrong and that. And I actually remember one thing, um, actually in at a school assembly they did a whole bit on uh yeah bullying and there's like we're supposed to say stop i don't like that and that's supposed to stop the bullying mm. um which no. I, I still laugh at that i laugh at that um, today because it's just it's ridiculous like that's not going to stop it that's not yeah a bully's not going to automatically stop because you said yeah. that you don't like it <laughs> Yeah, if anything, that's almost the opposite. It's going to make them, you know, do it more. Oh, good, we're getting where, you know, if a bully is sort of setting out whether they realise it or not to be nasty. So, oh, good, I'm succeeding. Um, you know, it's just, no, not going to work. What what would have worked with hindsight? What would you have liked to have happened and what do you think would have worked? Because I think that's important that we understand, at least can try and take that part of it, um, what would have been better. I feel like the school needed to take the um, situation a little bit more seriously and mm. also kind of not make it feel like it's our fault for being bullied because there's also another thing that sort yeah. of made it feel like we're the issue, not the bully, um, and sort of dive more into the reason why the bully is actually bullying as well. Because mm. um, the majority of the time they're not doing it too really just because they're mean, there's always like an underlying, um, you know, problem going on. Yeah, their their um, own insecurity. Yeah. So it needs to be looked at. It needs to be looked at on both sides, and not a whole quick conversation in a room. You know, saying mm. it's wrong to bully, stop bullying. Okay, go out. <laughs> yeah, have that's, a nice day. <laughs> it's not going to do anything. It's not going to help settle you down as someone on the receiving end of the bullying and it's not as you say it's not going to stop their behavior it's just um it's um if, if only it was that simple but it isn't yeah um which is you know part of the part of the problem and another thing i think that would be would have been useful and i think it is happening more at schools now i have noticed is more education around disability and um you know autism yeah. and that because i know when i was growing up most people didn't even haven't really even heard mm. of autism there's just this word there's a day dedicated to it in april that's about it you see stuff on tv and yeah there wasn't any education to teachers or to students about what it actually is yeah no well well that's true and look i mean i admit that i hadn't heard i'll say words similar to autism until the early 2000s um you know so that was you know about i remember when it came up and by that time, I'm, you know, 35 plus years old. So I'm, you know, over halfway through my life thus far. And um, yeah, it was like, oh, what's this about? And it was, you know, look, it was, a le- it was a learning curve. And because we have, you know, the, the, from, my po- you know, from my point of view, as someone, as I say, who I don't really believe is autistic, although highly neurodivergent with another form, um, it was a surprise. It's like, oh, okay. And I'd been brought up with the very strong ideas about social cues and so-called politeness. And there's nothing necessarily impolite about autism in it, and you know, auti- autism and relevant behaviours in themselves. They just are what they are, of course. 
So it is a surprise. You know, it was just a sort of this, oh, okay, it's something I need to learn about was, I suppose, the response. But a lot of people sadly don't see it that way. And I think there's an issue there which I want to get onto. A lot of people, you were recognised early at age eight, which is great, but a lot of people going beyond your own story for a second don't get that, we'll say, um, don't have that happen. You know, they don't realise that they're autism until much la- on the spectrum until much later. Yeah, so I was actually, for um, a male, I was actually diagnosed quite late, um, just okay. to be fair, because um, ah. uh, males are actually usually diagnosed quite early on in life. However, there is a bit of a um, yeah, a problem out there at the moment that to get diagnosed, the diagnostic manual, it's based around yeah, male orientation and that, that these are the um, yeah the traits and that that come up with male autistics and doesn't really come up with yeah maybe other genders and that out there because it can um yeah at the moment the ratio for yeah male and uh, female um yeah I'm not going to really include the other genders because there is no unfortunately there is no research on that yeah but um. It's around about like to um, every one girl, there is four boys that are on the autism spectrum, okay. and that's because um, a lot of characteristics and traits actually, uh, yeah, they appear um, sort of differently in girls uh-huh. um, than boys, and also girls are apparently more likely to mask their autism as well, just to fit in with the rest of the group. Uh-huh. Um, so a lot of the time they don't get diagnosed until like you know mid teens to right through you know adulthood. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that is not really just on them. It's also on uh, yeah the medical community. A lot of the doctors and that unfortunately don't believe um, girls can be autistic. Um, so to this day, there's that misconception that only boys can be autistic, uh, which is just simply not true. <laughs> Um, yeah, look, there's, there's a lot in there and I want I just want to come on. We've had a message in from Kayleen, one of our awesome listeners who has said she has looked at, um, your website. It has a lot of great resources. And she said when she worked in an office, she would roll her chair back and forth a few inches and it wore out the carpet to her manager's annoyance. Um, took me years to work out. It was a form of stimming, um, less harmful than skin pricking, um, et cetera. Um, never knew she was autistic throughout her working life, which made things worse to cost time, stress and limited benefits. Um, means at her, her later age means she won't seek a formal diagnosis, um, and also agrees on what we said, um, telling a bully they are being successful and telling them to stop won't lessen the bullying. Uh, thanks Kayleen. Yeah, look, um, I, um, very much agree with that. Uh, all of that, um, you know, that, um, you know, there's so much in, in there. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, sort of we have to be a little specific on gender here when we're talking male and female. So you're saying that of the population who are recognised on the autism spectrum, four out of five are, I'm going to be precise, assigned male. So that is, you know, um, you know could be trans women, could be non-binary, um, and assigned female could be cisgender women, um, trans men and some non-binary as well. Is that what we're sort of talking here? Um, yes, from my understanding of the research. Um, yeah. 
yeah, unfortunately, when it comes to autism and well, most disability, a lot of the research, they never really think about the intersectionality of autism and mm. the LGBTQA plus community. Um, it's still very separate, uh, yeah. which, yeah, it's why uh, people like me are actually out there trying to change that because it's, I think it's kind of dumb that we're looking at these as separate issues and they're not. They're combined. Well, absolutely. I mean, um, the piece of research on trans alone that sticks in my mind was the 2017 um, Telethon um, youth research on trans, which found that, and this was trans people up to the age of 25, and they found that 29% of the respondents, so they're all trans to start with, 29% were either diagnosed or I'll use and I hope this is an appropriate term, self-recognised as on the autism spectrum. And um, that's and when that research came out, many people who work with trans young people said that's too low. They would put it at 50%. Um, and I know um, Transgender Victoria, when I worked there, did a, um, a not so much a formal research piece, but they asked trans people about intersectionality and 50% said neurodivergence in some form was important to them. So I think there's a lot of overlap, and I think we're beginning to get research for bi and ace, which um, um, is important as well. So it's surprising we haven't had more research, which isn't everything, but it helps to have the research um, in there because it just, you know, it's, it almost seems a given in, I'll use the shorthand, queer communities. There's so much um, autism um, around. Yeah, so actually um, there is research out there that actually says that, states that, those of us on the spectrum are actually more likely to identify as being LGBTQA plus than the um, you know, than neurotypicals. Yeah. So we're actually two times more likely to identify as being you know non heterosexuals. That could be you know bisexual, yeah. gay. Um, I can't think of the others at the top of my head. There is others. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Asexual. Yeah, I can't think of them off the top of my head, but yeah, you yeah. get what I mean. Um, I'm, I'm with you. you know, we'll say diverse sexual romantic orientations, yes. gender identities and expressions, yeah. And we're actually up to three times uh, more likely to identify as being uh, transgender or gender diverse. Yeah. Uh, so it gives you a bit of an idea, especially when it's um, you know one in, I think it's about 60 Australians are on the autism spectrum. One in um, 60, okay, so... So you sort of compare that to um, you know, how big the LGBT community is here in Australia. Yeah, there's a lot of us um, obviously going to be represented in the community. Yeah. Now that's one in 60. So that's, you know, in percentage terms is about 1.6% if I have that right, or 1.7. Um, um, I'll be a mathematics um, geek um, there. I, I had heard two to three percent. I mean, we're not. I mean, we're probably splitting hairs to some extent of the whole population of all the all the humans. Um, and so, I mean, when we start doing the percentages, it's got to be got to be huge. And we start putting all these figures together, um, it definitely seems to be overlap. Um, yeah, and it's just that it's yeah, it's very surprising we haven't had more more research than. Um, on this, um, you know, apart from the telethon one, looked at it a little bit, as I said. Yeah. Um, you've touched on se- um, sexual and romantic orientation, which, you know, is of great relevance to this program. Um, 
well, how is um, you know you've um, you're out as being under the B for buy. Um, I can ask first of all what labels, if any, you use to describe that. Just out of curiosity, and how what was that journey like, both individually and then connected to being on the autism spectrum? If there was, if there is a connection, so how does it all fit into the whole person that is Bryce Pace, autism advocate? <laughs> Yes, yeah, so I do, um, as of uh, two years ago now, um, identify as being um, bisexual. And like, I'm not, like, definitely, it's not like a um, concrete sort of identity for me at the moment because mm-hmm. um, I sort of see it as, um, yeah, my definition of it is sort of the more broad uh, definition of it with being you know, attracted to my own gender and others. Yeah. Um, that's because I'm still exploring. I yeah. I know I've got attraction to male and female, but beyond that, I'm not sure yet. Yeah. Um, so who knows what I will be in the future. Um, now, um, sorry, I've lost where I was in that's my all right. thought process yeah, so there. The, ju- um, the journey of coming out as bi, which you know you said only a couple of years ago and you're still exploring, but and but also linkages to autism, which you've sort of covered, but anything for yourself personally. Yeah, so as I mentioned, yeah, being bisexual is still a pretty new part of my life because um, I only did only begin to understand it and sort of accept it, um, you know, a couple of years ago. and. Yeah. I publicly came out as bisexual in October 2022, and that was actually on my website and social media profiles of my business. Um, and, yeah, that was after, you know, I was 23 at that point. It was after 10 years um, of trying to figure out my sexuality because uh, I really did struggle. Um, and that, I do believe, that was partially um, due to my autism, but also being bisexual as well, because I actually, uh, and also growing up where I did, because I also grew up in regional Victoria um, in the early 2000s, which, as you can imagine, wasn't exactly um, mm. you know friendly to anyone that wasn't straight, heterosexual. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I didn't even have any access to any accessible um, accessible LGBTQA plus education or resources at that time, uh, nor did I have any exposure to community either because growing up, you know, there was, there was basically just no recognition of the community in regional Victoria, really. If you weren't heterosexual, you just didn't talk about it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's so bad that growing up, um, yeah, I can actually count um, yeah the number of openly LGBTQA plus individuals I knew uh, yeah on one hand, and mm. I didn't actually even know about bisexuality, um, bisexuality or um, yeah meet another bisexual until I think it was about yeah year eight or nine in high school, and that's wow. only one. I didn't need anyone else until after high school and started to, you know, I moved here to Melbourne and that. Um, so there was that just not understanding um, that this sort of identity did exist, that this could be a thing. Um, and what did actually eventually help me sort of be authentic to myself was firstly to understand what attraction actually is um, because, yeah, then I didn't really 
understand the full spectrum of attraction. I sort of understood at that point that the media sort of puts it out there as being this really easy thing to know about. You just feel mm. it. Um, ah. And no one really breaks it down to actually describe what it is. Um, yeah. And I guess for those that are only attracted to one gender and that, it possibly is easier to understand what attraction is. But being autistic and also... Um, yeah, being bisexual at the time, I didn't know I was bisexual, but being multigendered attracted, I couldn't really figure out, I couldn't really separate, uh, understand what I was attracted to, what I wasn't, because I was feeling similar feelings for, mm-hmm. you know, multiple genders, which could be confusing for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I didn't actually understand that. Um, I had to figure that out, and I didn't figure that out until two years ago. And I found a scientific article online that broke it down, and now I've actually adapted that into a, a resource on my website. I'm going to have um, to check that out. That is of great interest um, to me. Um, it is very fascinating, and every time I bring it up with people, and I'll also be bringing it up in my um, yeah, upcoming seminar, which um, you know, we'll probably talk about later on. Yes. Um, but, yeah, it breaks it down into five like types of attraction. Uh, that everyone sort of feels at, at different levels and that, and oh. that sort of, um, you know, from that, that shapes your sexuality, oh. which is really fascinating. And it really did help me. And I've um, seen some other stories online from autistics that um, do identify as being LGBTQA+, plus that they found similar resources very useful as well. Um, just sort of understand their sexuality. <laughs> Wow, I never thought about it that way. You've got me very, very curious, but um, um, I will keep focused on this program for the remaining eighteen minutes of the show. Um, you know, there's um, that's that has just got me absolutely fascinated. Um, you know, talk about um, you know people on the autism spectrum being passionate about topics. Um, that's um, you know that's a, a piece of depth that I just wouldn't have thought of, um, and that's shows the awesome awesomeness of people on the autism spectrum. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, when we bring, get people, when people can be their awesome, authentic selves, it's much better, of course. And that's something I wanted to ask you about. And you've given a couple of thoughts about this. But generally, what can people who I'll say might be aurelic, that is not on the autism spectrum, for lack of better words, but also generally might not, might see themselves if they've thought about it as neurotypical. What sort of allyship can people do? We'll start, first of all, for people on the spectrum. You know, what sort of things, I mean, yes, every case is individual, every every human, I should say, but what sort of general tips um, might work and maybe some specific ones for someone like yourself? What will make things, you know, help you function more effectively as a human being? Well, I think, firstly, yeah, education is a major factor that's something i advocate for mostly mm-hmm. with all my work and that yeah if you are um yeah an ally um you, know, you want to be an ally to the um autism community you know bring in people like myself you know i run my own autism advocacy and consultancy business in melbourne and i do actually service all of victoria um you can bring me in i can provide training and there's a lot of those of us out there that also do the same thing that we bring both professional experience, also lived experience, which mm. is vital. Um, 
you know, so that's firstly the main thing that you can do is to educate yourself on yeah. um, autism and some of the things that you can actually do to accommodate those of us on the spectrum because the majority of the time the accommodations that need to be made are inexpensive. There are accommodations such as, well, there's a more expensive one, which is you know, a quiet room or a um, sensory room, but there's also things like when you're employing people, um, you know, there are other ways of doing job interviews. Um, instead of doing a job interview, doing a work trial. Um, when it comes to events, there's stuff like having um, sensory heat maps to describe all the different sensory inputs in different parts of the event. Um, also, social stories. And I actually have a example of a social story next to me today, and it's actually for my, um, again, my upcoming seminar, which you can see on my website, um, mm. an example okay. of the social story. And it, walks people through the an entire experience from getting there all the way through to leaving and tells you exactly what to expect before you get there so you can prepare. Um, and, yeah, that can just go on. I could talk about this all day, but we don't really go have on. all day. No, keep going a bit more. <laughs> I think the more tips we can get out there, the better. So go, 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 go. But, <laughs> yeah, if you want to know more, you can just reach out to me. Yeah. Um, I could, again, talk all day about this. Um, when it comes to... Uh, those of us that are sort of part of the you know, intersection of um, being LGBTQA plus and autistic, um, help us advocate for better resources and services that can accommodate for our full identity, not just one or the other. Because unfortunately, that is basically all that is available at the moment. Um, I know when I was trying to find a psychologist for my um, through my NDIS plan, trying to find one that was mm. queer affirming and um, neuro affirming was virtually impossible, because um, yeah, you can get one or the other, but you're just trying to find both. It's sort of a niche market at the moment. Um, yeah. So that is a you know, big one, and that also goes into, of course, um, LGBTQA plus resources, having them more accessible to different abilities um, and services, LGBTQA plus services and disability services as well. Yep. No, it's that old intersectionality. You don't want to go to, say, one mental health professional for one part of you and another for another and... You know, then you're repeating yourself and maybe you're explaining one but not the other to the other, et cetera, et cetera. It's, um, yeah, very, very um, difficult when that happens for sure. Um, let's get to um, uh, the 22nd of March at noon because there's a big event happening then. Um, you know, um, what is that event, um, Bryce? Yeah, so I am hosting a seminar at the uh, Glenara Town Hall um, and it's called uh, Growing Up Autistic in a Neurotypical World, and it's basically me and my mother. We're going to be talking from our experience, our personal experience, also professional experience, um, yeah, about our story, our experience with autism, our journey with autism, as it, um, as it will. Um, and it's a good way for those that are interested in learning a bit more about autism, whether yeah, they may be, think they may be autistic themselves or they want to be an ally, um, to get some useful, practical tips and resources because um, we will be going through all this, uh, especially the fact that yeah, we don't just bring in the personal lived experience of me being um, 25, autistic, my mother being a parent of 
that mm. two autistics, not just me, but also my older brother. Uh, but she also has over 30 years' experience uh, in the disability sector of um, educating autistics um, and or disability, the wider disability community, but also she does specialise in autistics, hence, yeah, because raising two autistics kind of does that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just just a bit, yeah. Um, <laughs> hi, Angela, um, out there. Um, and she'll be um, presenting with you um, at um, Glenara Town Hall. I'll pop the um, flyer up for this when I put um, the corner of Glenara and Hawthorne Roads over there in Caulfield. Um, I'll put the flyer up with the scanny code um, when I put the podcast up for the show. Um, which is I will also sorry. Um, yeah, I'll also be um, not just talking about my experience of autism, but I'll also be going further in depth of my journey of um, yeah, figuring out and understanding my sexuality as well and what assisted me to be you know, the authentic, um, as I put it, neurospicy, neuroqueer. Um, yeah, person I am today. Neurospicy. I like that. That's excellent. Neurospicy. I think that's going to go. That's going to go in the um, promotion of the podcast. Um, it's a neurospicy podcast. I like that. <laughs> um, I, I think that, and I think that's great. I mean, I think we, you know, when you are, when we do face, I use the term negativity just for being who we are, whether it's part of our queer or neurodivergent identity, we tend to, you know, get. You know, it tends to get put down. Neurospicy really says, hey, well, look, look what we offer. I think that's great. And I just had to say to Kayleen, I mean, sim- when we're talking solutions, simple solution, um, why couldn't the manager have just bought one of those plastic mat things to put under the chair and that way the carpet wouldn't have worn out? It, as you say, it's not that hard. You know, it isn't that hard, really. Um, and yeah, yet, a lot of the time you just got to think outside the box. <laughs> yeah, well, um, well, I could be very... I, I could be very sarcastic here, so I'll give you a sarcasm warning. Management and thinking don't always go together, unfortunately. <laughs> or is that a dry humour warning or something? Um, anyway, um, yeah, no, look, seriously, I mean, this is just great. This is what the sort of stuff we need. You know, yes, we can't ignore that the world sometimes isn't ideal, but, you know, we can work out solutions and make it better and you're doing that which I think is just absolutely phenomenal and you know we need that sort of thing happening so it's great that you make a difference there was one other question I was just going to ask um, which is one of those apropos of nothing questions um, and that is outside of autism do you what else do you what are your other interests I mean do you I mean, the people we ask about the word hobbies, that sort of thing, or outside passions, is you when you need to turn off a bit from autism advocacy, what do you do? Uh, well, actually, I'm a bit of a workaholic in yeah. a sense. Uh, I always try and keep up to date with the current, you know, going on, um, going on, what's that term? Goings on? Yes, that's what I was thinking of. Um, yep. <laughs> with the community and trying to learn a bit more about my own identity as well because I never put myself out there as being like an expert on everything autism um, Mm. because it's impossible to actually know everything about autism. It's something that we're constantly learning new things about um, and it is fascinating. Uh, There's also, yeah, I'm still learning a bit more about... um, yeah, the LGBTQA plus community because I'm still new to it. I'm still 
yeah, I'm still very new to the community, so I'm trying to engage more with that, uh, attending some events and that. Um, you know, last night watching um, the Mardi Gras on TV, yeah, um, which I love the um, disability representation in that, just um, to <laughs> yep. put that out there. Um, it's getting much better than what it has um, mm. from my understanding in previous years and that. Um, yep. And just simply just relaxing, watching TV and that. So I don't really have many hobbies outside that. <laughs> I was I was just curious as to um, you know what there might be. Um, we'll just take a quick breather. I'm just going to do a couple of quick community announcements, then we'll come back and wrap up the show and make way for um, Freedom of Species, who are talking about vegan parents today. Um, so you're on 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au, 3CR On Demand, Out of the Pan with Sally and guest Bryce Pace. And we're having a technological moment. Not pressing hard enough. 3CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. Alofalava, Malo Elele, Kiorana, Fakalofalahiatu, Kiora, Isa Bolivinaka, Aloha, Womanjeka, and Hello. This is PX Fano on 3CR 855 AM Community Radio, the voices of our community, talking Kwe Pacifica, talking us. Saturday afternoons, 1.30 to 2 o'clock, only on 3CR. Join us as we share the stories of our diverse people, from arts and culture to news and opinions and information about our community, for our community. As a collective, we are all proud Pacifica diaspora, advocating for our people from the LGBTQIA spectrum. This is presented by the Pacific X Collective and produced on Wurundjeri land in the studios of 3CR in Nam, Melbourne. One of the great queer programs on 3CR, uh, one of all the great programs, Pex Fanu. Um, great to have them as part of our queer and diverse family. Um, and Kayleen messaged in um, about the plastic carpet thing and said um, that management did do it and whinged about the cost. Um, yes. It's always the issue. <laughs> always the issue. Oh, it's too hard, yeah. Um, look, we're just about out of time. Bryce, just any last quick um, thoughts or have we got it covered? I think just basically got it covered, but if you want to learn more about you know, yeah. my story and that, feel free to come along to my seminar on the 22nd of March, which isn't that too long ago. Um, you can learn more about the seminar by heading to my website, mm. com, and it's on the events page. Absolutely. Brilliantly done. Bryce, a wealth of information, wishing you every success, health, and happiness with 
the seminar and um, your life and um, your family's life and everything. Um, we opened up today. We've only had two musical tracks today. We opened up with Diana Wolf and the Wolf Gang from What's Cooking and What's the Time, Mrs. Wolf. We'll take it out today with Graham Connors and, um, well, sometimes you have to do it. Take the road less travelled. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan. Thanks once again to Bryce Pace, my guest for today. I'm Sally Goldner. Catch you next week. Let your life unravel as you cover that ground.